pleasure to be here speaking with you this morning. Uh, like Esme said, Hannah and I have been coming here for about a year and a half now. Um, but it feels like a lot longer than that. Like we've, we've passed that threshold of feeling like it's been a lot shorter than we've been here to, to where now it just feels like we've been here forever. Uh, and that's just, a, that is a real a joy for us. So thank you for your welcome. Um, and part of that has been the last two Christmases. And yeah, I'm gonna harken back to Christmas because I love Christmas. I never get over it. But this has been the, sort of the first church that we've spent Christmas at together that hasn't been going home to our parents' church for Christmas. And that's just a joy to spend that um, celebration, that very sort of family celebration here in this church. And um, I don't know if you were there or not. It's usually a smaller service, but often in Christmas services, there's this wonderful moment where um, often it's JP, it gets the kids up, um, they, they stand on their chairs, they're really excited to share a present that they opened that morning. Um, and I was reflecting, I don't know about you, but I often have this amnesia, especially by now, but even the first week of January, I, I can't remember a thing that I opened on Christmas Day. Um, and I wonder, if, I, if we were to do this now with us, with the adults in the room, <laughs> how many of you would be able to stand on your chair and wave about something that you received at Christmas? How many of you would remember? And don't, don't worry, I'm not going to make you do that. But I wonder if, maybe just by a show of hands, is there anyone in the room that has something that comes to mind immediately? Yeah, there's a few, actually more than I expected, which is great. It's wonderful that you're thankful for presents at Christmas. Um, Despite my usual amnesia, there are a few that I can remember at the moment, some that have made a particular impact on my day-to-day. -day. I brought one with me today. It doesn't look like a lot, um, but it's a set of kitchen scales, um, particularly ones designed to make coffee. Uh, they're accurate to 0.1 of a gram. They have a little timer on the side as well. And I can remember them because since Christmas, I've used them every single day, every morning. They're an integral part of my coffee routine. I get up, I boil the kettle, I weigh out my coffee beans, about 20 grams, put them in the grinder, I put all of my like filter system on top of the scales, and I, I pour the coffee over it. Uh, 330 mils, if you were wondering. I know you weren't. Um, over about two minutes. Now, about 5% about of you are with me. You do that similar kind of coffee routine. The rest of you, I've given you a nice little box to put me in, uh, which is fine. Um, but I don't tell you this to give you a box to put me in. I tell you this because even if you're not into coffee like me, you might have a gift like this that's, that's just become an integral part of your day-to-day -day that reminds you of the person who gave it to you, that evokes that thankfulness to them, this joy um, and thankfulness that gift-giving evokes in us reflects the immeasurably greater gift of God in Christ, the gift of God's grace in the gospel. And I almost feel like I don't need to talk on this anymore because we've been sharing it throughout the worship, um, haven't we? Reflecting on God's grace to us in Jesus and how wonderful that grace is, that he gives us this gift that isn't just our way in to following Jesus, but our way on that we never outgrow the gospel. We never mature to more interesting or deeper theology. There isn't a deeper ocean than God's grace to drink from. And so today we're going to open God's word and dive into some of those depths of God's grace, just to dig in a little bit deeper into what it means for us that God has shown us his grace in Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles with me or your mobile devices, um, you're open to Ephesians 1, um, and I think it will also appear on the screen. This is Ephesians 1, verses 3 uh, to 14. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who worked out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Now this passage is one long expression of praise to God for his grace that is experienced by those who put their faith in Christ. In the Greek, Paul writes this in one long sentence, like he, he can't stop for punctuation, he just needs to get out that praise to God. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, chosen for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, all of this to the praise of his glory. Paul's praise to God is because in his grace, Paul says he's given us every spiritual blessing. And then Paul reels off all these blessings in the rest of the prayer. Chosen before the foundation of the world, made holy and blameless, adopted as heirs, redeemed by Christ's blood, sins forgiven, mysteries revealed, restoration of the world in Christ, history directed, a sure and future hope, the promised Holy Spirit, a guarantee of an inheritance. Clearly, Paul doesn't mean blessings in the way that we often think of them. A nice holiday that we went on over the Christmas break. The promotion at work. The fact that there was parking, a parking space for you in the Irish Centre this morning. Paul is pointing to a much deeper sense of blessing, um, something that we experience by God's grace even when we're struggling with hating our job or with unemployment. That we're able to say, praise God for every spiritual blessing, even when we're struggling to pay our heating bill or we're getting, uh, grieving a, lost one, uh, a loved one lost to cancer. This isn't glib coming from Paul. It's not praise to God that lightly passes over our painful struggles. Paul's familiar with pain and trouble. He's writing this from one of his later imprisonments near the end of his life. A life of following Jesus that's been marked with sorrow and poverty and rejection and loss. Paul's familiar with the troubles of life, yet he knows the overwhelming goodness of God, his grace that meets him in the middle of it. So much so that he can write from prison, truly, praise be to God for every spiritual blessing. How can he say that? How can he face the realities of life and truly say there's no more for heaven now to give? And the answer's here in this passage, because God's grace, his gift of grace is himself. He meets us with himself, who though transcending the ups and downs of life, of human existence, he yet transcending that embraces it, enters it, is present with us 
in the midst of it. He doesn't erase our humanity or scoop us out of it, but joins us there in it. This grace isn't detached from our real lives. It's not escapism. It meets us every day in a much more significant way than my coffee scales are with me every day. God's grace meets us every day. And this passage tells us some of the ways that he does that. So first, um, looking at those first three verses, three to six. Though we've done nothing to earn it, God decided before creation to make those who are in Christ his family. Paul first expresses God's grace to us as his choice of us to be his family. He chooses to relate to us as our father. He's chosen for us to be his children. Adopted to sonship, it says in verse 5. And that immediately evokes this wonderfully intimate relationship with God that we have through Jesus, that he's our Abba, our Father, who hears, who cares, and loves for us. I don't know what your relationship with your Father is like, but Jesus encourages us that our Heavenly Father is infinitely better. He's what a Father should be like. He's the very measure against which the goodness of our fathers on earth are measured. This passage highlights a particular dimension of the grace that we experience um, when we're called child by God. In our adoption to sonship, as it puts it, we've been made heirs. It's not just that we have this intimate closeness with God, but that he's generously included us in his inheritance. The fruit of all God's work in creation, in redemption, throughout history, which belongs to Christ. It's what Christ has earned. God is giving to us as well. Isn't that mad? I mean, God's in his grace, he doesn't just give us good things from time to time. He doesn't give us uh, little perks of belonging to him, but in his cosmic plan for the universe, he's brought us into his family to share in everything that he's done. It's not like a pension when you, you work hard and you put a little bit of what you earn into a pot that you, you don't see for years and years, and then you get it at the end of your working life as a, uh, a little reward, something to live on that you have earned. With an inheritance, you're literally receiving the reward of someone else's hard work. You don't do anything to earn it. You just get it because they're your family or because they've chosen you to be their heir. If you're a parent, you'll understand this in a way that maybe the rest of us won't. You love your son because he's your son. You love your daughter because she's your daughter. Your children might drive you up the wall on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, they still have your love because you love them not because they've earned it. The good things that you give your children say a whole lot more about you than it does about them, doesn't it? God has chosen this status for us as his children in accordance with the pleasure of his will. It says a whole lot more about him than it does about us. He doesn't begrudgingly give it to you because Jesus has somehow twisted his arm on the cross. It's his utter delight to call you child. And he's chosen this, it says in verse four, this is mad. He's chosen this in him before the creation of the world. It's not just that you haven't done anything to earn it. There was no chance to earn it. He's chosen it before you even lived, before there was a world to live in and work to earn it. God has chosen to give you this inheritance. And that's what grace, the word grace means, isn't it? An undeserved and unearned gift. Praise God, because if it was on us, we would all fail. But that is his glorious grace that he's freely given us in the one he loves, in Jesus. Though we've done nothing to earn it, God decided before creation to make those who are in Christ his family.
So secondly, moving on to verse 7 to 12, God has arranged all of history, past, present, and future around Christ, who rescues his people from their sin and gives them hope of eternal life with him. Every one of us has been alienated from God by our sin. My story and your story is one of rejecting him, of rejecting his design for our life, of looking to ourselves for what is right, not to him. Looking to others for approval and belonging, how guilty of that I am. Looking to idols for security, looking to money, status, politics maybe, or literally other gods. We fall short of the glory of God, as Paul puts it in another letter he writes to the Romans. No one is righteous. No one can stand before a holy God. God's wrath burns against sin, the Bible says. He can't stand it. Sin can't stand before him. That's not because he's a killjoy or an angry father, but because he loves us. It's actually out of his love that he burns against sin. In his goodness, he vehemently opposes injustice and wickedness, everything that does harm to his creation, to his people. God passionately opposes. That's the good news of God's justice, but it's also the, the fearsome wrath that we face because, because God desires what's truly good for us. It means he can't affirm our every immediate desire, our desires as they appear to be on the surface. Our sin is so often the very thing that's bringing that harm to us and to the creation around us. C.S. Lewis illustrates this with an example about a dog. I'm going to retell it in my words. I have a dog, so I, this, this illustration speaks to me very personally. And um, you might have seen our dog on the screen if you were watching the carol services. Um, but when we first had him, when I was first out walking Pippin, he'd often get sort of tangled behind um, lampposts or under fences. He'd be going the wrong way. Um, and I'd have to pull him back on the lead. And um, C.S. Lewis talks about this experience of pulling a dog back on the lead when you're walking them. Um, as, as an example of our desires, the way that God affirms our deepest desire, but has to say no to that immediate desire. See, when I'm pulling Pippin back, I'm not saying, no, I don't want to go on a walk with you. I'm saying, yes, let's continue this walk. Let's go and find all the nice smells. Let's go and meet your friends in the park, but we can't go that way to do it. And he doesn't really understand this. He's just pulling and pulling, and he wants to go. Uh, and so I'm saying, yes, I affirm your desire to go for a walk, your deepest desire. I can't affirm that immediate desire to go forwards. You have to come back. You have to respond to my pull. And that's like the way that God is towards our desires. Our problem is not just guilt before God, but that we can't even do the good that we want to do. Our desires are kind of all in the wrong place. And we experience that all the time. I mean, how many of you made New Year's resolutions of some kind? How many of you are still going with them? Statistically, by now, about 80% of us will have given up our New Year's resolutions. Maybe it's more or less in this room, but it's hard. We need rescue, not only from sin's guilt, but from its power. So without intervention, we face this problem of sin, that we're guilty before God. And we're enslaved. We're also enslaved by the sin so that we can't obey God's voice that pulls us back from our immediate desires. To that ultimate desire that will be fulfilled in him. We can't, we can't do it in our own strength. 
But God has intervened, praise the Lord. He's given his very self to bear the cost of forgiveness in Jesus and also the cost of our redemption from slavery. He's given him his very self to the point of death on a cross to forgive our sins, to wash us clean, to free us from our sin, to make us free heirs that he's chosen for us to be from the before creation, no longer slaves to sin. Ephesians 1, 7 in our passage puts it like this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he's lavished on us. His rescue is not just oriented to Christ's death on the cross in the past, or to our present reception of the gospel, but to the future. You see, we still experience the nagging presence of sin in our life. If you struggle with certain sins, it's not a sign that you haven't received this redemption in Christ. You're experiencing this tension that we have as we live with the presence of sin, even though its power has been broken. And all creation with us lives in that tension, groaning for the day when the presence of sin is finally and fully eradicated when creation is restored, when we can keep our resolutions, when our desire for good habits that really benefit us isn't in conflict with our addiction to sugar or to our phones or to alcohol, when there's no more COVID or cancer or heart disease, when there's no poverty or war, when there's no more anxiety or depression or grief, when we finally feel at home in our bodies and in the world around us. And that day will come. That's the promise of hope in God's grace that our passage puts like this. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. By grace, it is God's delight to let us in on his plan, to tell us what he's doing as children, as heirs. This is the source of our hope. It all centers on Christ because one day, all things, all of creation will be drawn up into Christ, along with us, to be restored, made new, fulfilled in him. The phrase in verse 10 that says, to bring unity to all things, in the version that we have up on the screen, is um, the Greek word for sum up or summarize. It's, it's like the thing you do with the points at the end of a sermon, not, not quite like a sum in maths, but when you get to the end of a talk, you summarize the points that you've made, you draw them together, and they're fulfilled in the thing that you're pointing to all along. That's the hope that we look to in the future, that all things one day will be fulfilled, summarized, summed up in Christ. All our desires drawn up into him and fulfilled in him, the one that we were really desiring in the first place. And all this is our inheritance as God's children that we all share with Christ in his joy and the fruit of his work on the cross, not only for us, but the fruit for all creation. So we have this confidence that even while the world around us often looks to be in chaos, when our lives are not as we desire them to be, when we see war in Ukraine and poverty, even on our very streets, we know that God is not failing, but continues to work to bring about his purposes. As it says in, in verse 11, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So as we hope in Christ, we also join in God's purposes that he's revealed to us. We join in that as we share the message of Jesus, but also 
as we work in our jobs, as we enjoy our hobbies and relationships, to the glory of God, to the benefit of those people and that area of creation, because one day God will bring them all up to their intended ends in Christ. God has arranged all of history, past, present, and future around Christ, who rescues his people from their sins and gives them hope of eternal life with him. Thirdly, moving to verse 13 and 14. When you hear and believe the gospel, God gives you his very self, the Holy Spirit, as your present experience of his abundant grace towards you. Up until this point, Paul has been talking very collectively about who we are in Christ, God's gracious choice of us in Christ, the future hope that we have in Christ. Now he turns to the present and speaks very personally to me and to you. All of this, adoption, forgiveness, joining in God's purposes, is for you in the present if you put your hope in Christ. God's grace has given us a hope to cling to, but he doesn't leave us there. To do that alone in the dark, to sort of cling intellectually to the gospel. He meets us in the present, gives himself to us in the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's the way that God makes all of these things, uh, all of these things about his grace, present to you. To have the Spirit is to have the Father with you. To have the Spirit is to have Jesus with you. If you're a Christian, you're quite literally carrying the presence of God with you into your workplace, into your neighborhoods into your own pain and into your own joy. This is why Paul can praise God from prison, why people throughout the centuries have been willing to go and die for Jesus, why people today are able to leave their homes and families and communities as missionaries to take the good news of the gospel of hope to people in Newcastle or Malawi or even Indonesia. Not in their own strength, clinging intellectually to the message of the gospel alone, but in, because in believing the gospel, God actually meets us in person, takes up his residence in us. That means he's with you today. That means he's with you when you're at a hockey game, trying desperately to keep in balance your competitiveness and your desire to display God's love to your non-Christian friends. Or when you're just trying to stay awake through a night shift. This passage says two things specifically about this God's presence with us. First, it says you are marked with him as a seal. He's your personal assurance of hope that you have Christ, that God is with you, assuring you of your status as his beloved child, forgiven of your sins and clothed in Christ. Whenever you doubt his love for you, maybe because of circumstances or your own ongoing battle with the presence of sin, he's there reminding you that you have been marked as his, just as seals used to keep letters closed as a, as a guarantee that they haven't been tampered with. Or maybe a more contemporary example, when you, when you get a new, uh, new credit card or debit card and you get that pin and it's got that little cover thing that when you pull it off, it's changed forever. You can't stick it back in a way that makes it look like it's not been tampered with. God's spirit is a seal on our hearts to show us that we have been saved. We've been marked for salvation. Second, it says the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. As we know God with us every day, we get a taste of what it will be like when we're caught up and united with Christ in the new creation. By the Spirit's gifts in our gatherings and uh, in our home groups, we get a taste of the world to come. Healings now are a wonderful anticipation of the coming healing that we'll all experience. Tongues and prophecy, visions, dreams, they're tastes of when there'll be no more need for them because we'll be face to face with God himself. 
the fruit of the spirit that he produces in us to make us more like Christ, a taste of the full transformation that's to come. And these moments in worship when the spirit directs our desires um, in a more pure way towards Christ, a taste of the day when all our desires will be fulfilled in him, will be purified and directed towards him. So keep pressing into these things of the spirit, not because they're the absolute goal of the Christian life, but because they're God's gift to us in the present to keep us hoping, to keep us desiring that future with him. These things aren't the mark of the extra spiritual Christian. The Holy Spirit, along with all the blessings described in this passage, are for everyone who's in Christ. If you are in Christ, this is for you, the scripture says. Here's how, to, here's how you know that you're in Christ. You heard the gospel and you believed. That's it. At that moment, God gives his spirit. That's the promise that's here. That's the promise that's throughout the New Testament. And when you were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. If you've put your faith in Christ, this is all yours, delivered to you by the Holy Spirit. If you haven't taken that step to believe yet, you've been looking in, exploring who Jesus is, maybe enjoying the community here at Grace Church, take this as an invitation, as an opportunity that all this could be yours. God is freely giving his very self. Hear the good news that this is. Turn from your old way of living and receive Christ. Receive his Holy Spirit. Though we've done nothing to earn it, God decided before creation to make those who are in Christ his family. God has arranged all of history, past, present, and future around Christ, who rescues his people from their sin and gives them hope of eternal life with him. When you hear and believe the gospel, God gives you his very self, the Holy Spirit, as your present experience of his abundant grace towards you. In the more famous words from Ephesians, the ones, maybe you've memorized these, it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. It's not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, and no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks be to the Lord for his grace towards us. There might be a few different ways that we need to respond to this today. Maybe you're weary this morning. Maybe circumstances uh, are not making it easy to see the way that God's grace is expressed towards us. Maybe your own battle with sin has got you down and you're feeling distant from Christ. It's, this is all good uh, in theory, but you just don't feel it this morning. You don't, ex- you don't know that experience of God close to you right now. If that's you, I get sense God wants to minister deeply, to bring you a... Uh, a fresh sense of assurance, assurance of his choice of you, of his working in all circumstances for good, in his forgiveness of you in Jesus, and a fresh experience of his presence with you in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are a bit more confident than this, but you want confidence to be his witness, uh, to take your place that he's inviting you in his grace, to work out his purposes. Maybe he's, you feel a specific call to step out in, in a given area, Maybe it's church planting. Maybe it's even going overseas uh, as a missionary to share the good news with people who have never heard. Maybe it's something much closer to home, just a step that you need to take in your workplace with your colleagues or with your neighbors to share the good news. 
God's offering his spirit to be your power and your encouragement and confidence in that. Finally, if you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, God's invitation to you is to believe this good news, that Jesus has paid the price for your sins on the cross. He's made a way for you to freely come to the Father with his righteousness, to be called his child. It's the invitation to come to receive God's grace in Christ and be filled with the promised Holy Spirit. Let me pray and um, maybe the band will come up in a moment as well. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness that we've sung about this morning, that we've heard in your word. Thank you that you delight to choose us to be your children, that you delight to give yourself on the cross for us, that we are rescued from our sin, that it's nothing that we do. Father, thank you for your nearness in the Holy Spirit. You don't leave us here alone, hoping in the dark, but you meet us every day. You fill us with your presence. Father, we praise you to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.